Here we are, ready for the French Grand Prix at Le Mans. We're here to talk about it tonight. What's up, podcast land? I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice. I'm with my man, Bo. Bo, what's going on this evening? Not much, Jason. We have a MotoGP weekend coming up. I'm excited to chat about it, um, even though not everything that we're going to talk about is really positive. Um, but uh, it could be could be positive in the end once it's all, once it all shakes out, right? Yeah, once they get that stupid company out of MotoGP, it'll be great. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, let's start with that. I mean, the big news is that we've talked about it a little bit, but it's been confirmed that they will leave at the end of the year. Um, Suzuki, of course, reason, is who we're talking about, folks. Um, in case you're, yeah, if you if you didn't it. know, yeah, n- yeah, no one else is out there being sissies, but you know, I mean, Suzuki can do whatever Suzuki wants. Uh, of course, now the reality of it is, it is financially motivated. They are struggling financially in their motorcycle division, and Bo and I have some ideas as to why. I mean, we just talked about it off air, you know. You're producing two middleweight bikes um, to, you know, a 600 and a 750, and you're not updating either one of them, so they're not selling great. Um, and we all know that the 600 class is is not where the money is, right? And I've never, this is the truth, I've never seen a Suzuki that I wanted to buy 100%. Ever. Yeah. So the, the consumer I, market, you know, for Suzuki... Like you said, you know, not not even just in the super sports, but if you look at the entire lineup of of the of Suzuki's, um, there's a GSS, a GSX S750, and a GSX S, yes, one thousand. Are you having trouble? Yeah, I mean, a Jixus instead of a Jixer, you've got a Jixus one thousand and seven fifty, and these bikes are uglier than sin. I, I mean, they're just they're. Uh, They've not been updated in a long time. I think they finally yeah. started to look at the 1000 and give it uh, give it some rider aids, um, but uh, the 750 um, and even the you know we talked the 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 Gixxer line it really has not been updated in uh, what 11 years Quite now. Some time is kind of what we're they've pushing had the on, same you know? look for a long um, time. I mean, slight differences, but you're right. Yeah, There's yeah. No real bottom, no real updates. They kind of um, tried to pull what Yamaha did with the R6. You know, the R6 got minimal updates between. 2007, um, I think, or 2008, all the way up to 2016 was the last year. Yeah. Um, and but, then they updated it in 17, yeah. But you can do that when you're on top of the, when you're the, the apex predator. Yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a great bike. I mean, it was yeah. winning everything, and everybody loved it. They rode it. And I mean, Joe Roberts won on it, right? And so. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is that uh, everybody liked the 17 to 20 R6. I mean, yeah, they really I, did. Yeah. It was a great bike. Mm-hmm. So we saw a lot more of those out there. Now there are a couple people I know that are loyal to the Jixer clan, um, but but truthfully they don't have it like they do. Yamaha does, Honda does, even Cowie. You know I'm a recent Cowie convert, a couple years now, and um, you know, but it is financially motivated. So you know they got to do what's best for them, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to pull out now. That puts two very, very talented and premier riders on the market, really. Um, what are your thoughts there? Are they both going to stay in GP? Um, I hope so. Uh, you know, short answer, I really, really hope so. I, I think that the chatter right now is that Asparger is probably going to be out at uh, HRC and Joanne Mir is going to be in. 
but uh, Mir, or excuse me, Alex Renz is still kind of, I think, on the bubble of where he's going to end up. Um, <clears throat> which, uh, honestly, I think the best thing that Alex Renz could do for himself, given this news after Jerez of Suzuki pulling out, um, is do exactly what he's done at the beginning of the season is just to keep bringing yeah. the bike home into each race. You know, even Jerez yeah, was an a audition. Good race. Yeah, and, no, a hundred percent. You know. Yeah. And, and, you know, Alicia Spargaro is starting to get a little long in the tooth in his career a little bit, too. So, you know, I don't know what kind of doors might open up. And, you know, we've got Andrea DeVizioso as well. Um, not sure what kind of contracts are are there. Uh, Darren Bender's okay. on, a, on a single-year contract, too. So, you know, there's, what, only a few well, riders that are actually confirmed for next year to have seats. So yeah. Suzuki really shook up the, the rider market, I think, with this move. Yeah, the silly season is going to get really silly. So let's talk about where, who do you think they, if they stay in, who leaves? I think the Spargaro brothers are going to be, you know, close to being, uh, to be pushed out. You know, Paul definitely doesn't have the, uh, the results that HRC probably wanted him to have. Um, are you, are you sure? HRC? <laughs> yeah. With Paul. Yeah, I believe so. I, be, I believe Paul's going to, oh, you're being sarcastic. But Alicia, I think it's harder to push, um, you know, Aleish is, is riding very well this year, and, and and this might be just enough to kind of ignite Aleish just a little bit. Um, keep him in this to keep possibly him fired keep, up to ride, yeah, yeah. To, to possibly keep him in that seat for next year. I'm just not sure. It depends. I think it depends on a lot of what, um, you know, Aprilia wants to do, and you know, Dorna has even announced too that there are other factories and other oh. manufacturers that are interested in satellite teams as well as factory yeah. teams. So. We just don't know yet what's going to happen, but no, I, I really hope don't. that Joanne Mears um, and Alex Renz are able to stay in uh, MotoGP GP for next year. I do not think, I think their they, careers are anywhere close to being over. No, I think they'll both be there. Now, my question would be, you know, who's going to leave? You think Paul Spargo? I think, I think Davizioso is out. I think even Darren Bender might be out. Yeah, I think Davizioso is probably going to be a. Uh, if I'm Yamaha, and honestly, I mean, I, I kind of I, I made a comment to Ange about the RNF Yamaha team this week. I can't remember exactly the words that I used. Um, Garbage, dumpster fire. It was along those lines. No points. Um, okay. I, I mean, it was the, it, to me. I just see such a budget, you know, team that is struggling to hold on and and i almost see like like to me it almost seems like if british superbike tried to make a moto gp bike and then and used a yamaha yeah. chassis you know what i mean it's just it yeah they're just yeah, not, they're not doing great uh, and the irony you know you'd even mention it early in the season was that that bike is the championship winning bike from last year <laughs> it's so, true <laughs> you know i mean it, and it, it, it's just tough to watch this team perform this way um, yeah, but I think they did it to themselves a little bit, given I, Dovey made a poor choice. He should have gone to Aprilia and, um, and ridden there. He should have committed earlier. Of course, he couldn't know what was in the cards, but he rode that bike. He had some sense of it. Yeah. Um, he could have gone there. It could have been a podium contending bike. He did. And he should have, he should have taken that. But, you know, Dovey does what Dovey wants. He's, he's earned that, right? So I don't think he races in MotoGP next year. I don't think, um, I don't know about pole, but if you give me the choice between pole or Darren Bender, I'm going to take pole. But here's the other thing. Here's a wild card. There's a certain stop rack that's testing a MotoGP bike in June. 
So a spot on the RNF Yamaha team is available to him if he wants it already, said Lynn Jarvis. So that's even less spots. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So I, 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 I feel like guys like Pole may get pushed out. I, I really think Dovey is on his way. I don't think they'll have to. He'll even ask if he want to come back. I don't think he wants to. He don't want to do this. Um, well, he had a lot more Pol- fun, you know, riding motocross too anyway. So, you know, yeah. maybe that's where his heart is. Maybe so. But I think, you know, uh, we'll see what if a satellite team does come in. And if they do, is it going to be one of those teams like Hayden rode with a couple years ago, the CRT uh, teams? I, you know, I don't I don't really want to see that, but we'll see. Um, and we'll see if, if th- what happens. But I, I definitely think Renz and Mir are, are going to stay in GP. And with the addition of somebody like Toprak possibly coming in, those seats are getting limited, you know? Yeah, it's getting competitive. And and just like you said, you know, you don't want to see a competitive rider go to an uncompetitive team. Um, Yeah, you know, I don't. It's tough to watch that, you know, because then it really kind of magnifies, well, who's going to win is who's got the money, right? Who's got the the R&D, who can test, who who can really develop the bike the best who's got the best engineers and it all comes down to the bottom line and and we hate seeing that you know because we love seeing what we see this season in MotoGP. you know independent teams fighting for the championship and um you know really spread across the board competitively across uh, across all riders but um of course most riders um yeah but you know one of the things we didn't mention is if if alice decides not to come back are they going to bring Maverick back instead of like hiring a, a Renz or a Mir or both of them. What if they both went to Aprilia if Alicia decided to hang them up and they don't, I, would you want Maverick back? He's done no better than pole. In my opinion, if I'm Aprilia right now, I give, I give Alex Renz a call. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I give Alex Renz a call. I want to talk to him. I want to say, you know, listen, I know you've ridden an inline four for the past X number of years. Would you be willing to test this bike? Let us know what you think or if you're yeah. interested because right now we've got a rider that brings a lot of attention, a lot of uh, one lap speed, and no Sunday results. Yeah, that's true. You know what, though? I mean, I don't know if the days are gone where they used to secretly test. You know, I remember, um, like, they would get him on a bike at a track where nobody was. You know what I mean? Nobody mm-hmm. saw it. Nobody right. knew it was them. They just show up somewhere, pull the bike out, you know. And I'm curious now, given given how unique I think the situation is, where you know Suzuki has announced pretty early on in the season, hey, we're not doing this next year. Um, there's obviously some talks around the financial obligations with Dorna that have to be hashed out. But does Suzuki also have and and does the Suzuki? go out on a limb and negotiate with Dorna to allow Joanne Mir and Alex Renz to possibly test, um, as you know, say at the Catalonia test, if they want to, you know, no. go or have a private test with these other manufacturers, um, in preparation to, to help them get to get a seat next year. You know, is that no, something Suzuki so. might want to do and go, go to bat for them since they're, you know, more or less pulling the rug right off from underneath of them. I, I don't think they'll do that. No chance. Um, I, no chance. That's just what I think. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll see. You know, you don't know. You, that's, the, that's the thing about motorcycle races. You don't know. 
but it's I, fickle, I don't isn't think it? so. It is, but I can remember uh, when Rossi made the switch to Yamaha from Honda. There were tons of secret meetings where Rossi went into the Yamaha garage. They smuggled him in, and late at night, and he would go and look at the bike with his crew chief, and. They would do that, and you're not supposed to do that, but that's what that's how it is. And I think, honestly, if I were Renz or Mir, I would try, you know, on there in the summer break to have some sort of track rented out uh, under an assumed name and, you know, have them bring it in a, you know, a trailer and and let me see. Let me see what I think about it. You know what I mean? And uh, that's what I would try to do. Now, whether or not you can do that, in today's world, that's probably not going to work out. Too many current camera phones and whatever. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I think the switch to the from the inline four to the the V the the V four is going to be tough for all of them. I mean, I think you have to. It's it's a different way to ride, right? I mean, it just is. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's harder to ride. I I guess and you know obviously saying this from no frame of reference whatsoever um only what we see you know weekend and weekend and week out um from these riders it seems like it's a V4 doesn't like to be ridden smoothly um you know Mark That's Marquez true. Mark Marquez rides the bike very ragged Brad Bender rides a bike very ragged I would say that I think Alicia Spargaro rides a bike very smoothly though um in comparison to many of the other v4 riders that are out there you know the bike's well, always in line it's not really moving around a whole lot um his inputs sound very uh very very deliberate very smooth very um just you know very roll smooth roll on smooth roll offs breaking um and it, it very in very close in comparison to what i've seen on board just from alex wren's but that's yeah, just some I, of the small things I've I've noted. But Dovey was pretty smooth, you know. Yeah, that's a fair. That's fair. And and he and Alicia Sparger ride very similar. I mean, they don't move a whole lot on the bike. Yep, that's true. So, I mean, I guess you know that's all that's going to come down, and all that silly season is going to work out. But I sure am interested to see how it does and um, see who's in MotoGP in twenty twenty three, and if. If and when, if a sa another satellite team pops up, you know, we've got yeah. Yamaha has a satellite team, KTM has a satellite team, Ducati has a satellite team. So I guess Apria could do a satellite team. Right. Um, so, well, Ducati's got like nine satellite teams. <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean. That's the um, European Ducati Championship. That's right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming race this weekend. I mean, we we – we should do that. I, I think this weekend in Le Mans in France is the Shark Grand Prix, which is a couple years ago when they started doing that. I I real I didn't realize that Shark. I think Shark is a French helmet company. Are they? Yes, not? correct. So, so I did not know that. Like I, I mean, I know it now, but I did not know it then. And I was like, why is Shark sponsoring that? And then I was like, oh, never mind. I'm not that smart. It happens. Um, but I feel like uh, this weekend is always, there's always some drama, whether it be rider-forced, whether it be weather-induced, something. And, you know, and I remember we talked last year 
the riders would like to come to Le Mans a little bit later in the year when the weather was more stable. Yeah. Because it's notoriously fickle and unstable this time of year. But at the same time, you know, I, I the uh, a track like that has a lot of commitments and moving a date is not super easy for a track like that. You know, they have a lot going on there, so. Yeah, it's a super iconic track. Um, you know, obviously the Bugatti um, variation that the MotoGP rides, um, not exactly, not what World Endurance Championship really runs, um, or car, a lot of car racing run. Um, but, you know, like you said, the weather at this time of year, it seems like it always rains during this weekend. Um, and it al- the race yep. always has... It, it's never one or the other. It seems like it's always it starts sunny and starts to rain, or it's start rain. It, you know, it, it starts in the rain and it, it dries out towards. You know, it's never. It, it's so right. fickle. It just doesn't want to stay consistent. Yeah. Well, last year was definitely a dramatic race, right? I mean, Jack Miller won it, but yeah. Mark Marquez crashed twenty-seven times. Switched bikes crashed again. I mean, it was it was a crazy race. But I I, I you know as far as the spectacle of viewing, it was great. Um, but I, do you think Jack's got it in him to win this year again? Jack's a wild card. I, I mean, as soon as you bet against Jack, Jack always shows up and I'm not sure. Right. I, I wish that he could find that bone and always keep it in there. You know, it seems like he gets easily complacent sometimes, but, uh, all it really takes is for Jack to read a bad social media post about him. And then he gets fired up and goes out and wins a race. Um, right. that said, I think Pekka Banyaya found something in, uh, Jerez. I know that there's some drama talking about the front tire pressure um, that every rider on the grid. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I was just about to say, I read that headline that he won with an illegal bike, and then I read that they all do it. Yeah, it's a gentleman's agreement. So don't don't give me a sensational clickbait article that, you know, uh, okay, if he won with an illegal bike, then everyone else needs to fail tech inspection because they randomly pick bikes to tech. You know, I I mean, come on. Yeah, I I, I really don't know. Like, I I feel like this is the deflate gate. (laughs) It is the deflate (laughs) gate for uh, MotoGP. (laughs) And to me, it's a non-issue. I don't understand why we have to say you can only run certain tire pressures. Because I get it. They're they're doing it because of the tire manufacturer, right? That's right? it. That's what I'm going to say. That, and, that, and to me, it it shows an inadequacy of Michelin. Well, no, let's let's talk about that. If you want to risk it, if Michelin says you shouldn't run it here, it may not last, or it may deteriorate really quickly, or it may not. It may just fail in the middle of the race, you know, completely, and you crash, and you still do it. That's on you. It's not on Michelin. Michelin's making a tire. They say, this is where you should do it. Regulating, if you're going to regulate air pressures, you can't do that when you have varying temperatures. That's a very simple scientific principle because everybody's tires are going to be different when they're running because their tires are going to be at different temperatures. You're going to be behind a hot bike. You're going to be catching hot air. It's just going to inflate it more. That's right. So that's what I was just going to say. We always talk about, Yamaha getting their front tire hot and then he can't steer it because the front tire's got too much pressure. Well, guess what? 
that's also illegal according to your rules. So whatever, you know what I mean? Like let's, let's yeah, not worry about this. You have to pick one this. way or another. You have to, you know, F one kind of runs runs into the same thing, you know, with these new cars and and how to pass, how to how to run closer, how do we get close racing close again? Um, so there's so many trade offs with that. And I agree with you. I think that you know if you have a tire that cannot handle a certain pressure or is not built to handle a certain pressure, you can't. You can provide a suggestion. You can provide a, I think it's, you know, we all sign waivers when we go to the track. I'm not sure what, you know, what Moto, excuse right. me, what MotoGP contracts look like whenever they, you know, sign, um, sign contracts, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, what kind of calls they're allowed to make, not to make. Um, I, I believe that, you know, possibly there's something that should be checked off each before each race that says you understand you know that what pressures you're running you you understand that your recommended pressures are within this window and more or less you're signing a release of liability to michelin um i don't because, think you need that at the highest level you have mechanics that understand it like if michelin meets with the tire guy their tire guys are all in the garage anyway right they were well, course yeah. here and so if their guys are trained on what they should run and the rider says no i don't want to run it at that i want to run it at this and he says, you know what that means, right? I don't know if the tire can do that. And they're like, I don't care. Do it. That's on them. And I don't understand why at the highest level we need a waiver of release or a pressure minimum and maximum. That's all garbage to me. That All that is is more control to make you feel like you have a need to be in racing, like to make you feel like you're a part of the racing, FIM. That's what that is, is dumb. And so this article to me was a non-starter. Like I just, I thought... That's absolutely not interesting to me in the least. After I read and they said most all the it's bikes It's a gentleman's do it. agreement. Yeah, it's a gentleman's yeah. agreement. And we're talking about one bar. We're not talking about, oh, you're not supposed to run it less than 22, and Pekka was out there running it at four pounds of pressure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like It's just ridiculous. So I don't care about that. But you mentioned something about Pekka, and they found something. Well... Last year, on Peko's first year on the factory Ducati, I believe that they didn't really find anything until the 13th week of the season. And and he, without that crash at Misano, that was a very close championship because he had, before that weekend that he won his first race, you know, in week 13, he had mm-hmm. three seconds and a third in 13 weeks. So nine times he finished, you know, in the points all but one of those times. Mm-hmm. But but he he wasn't the Pecco we saw last race, and he wasn't the Pecco that he was for the last, you know, six races of the season. Um, if he is that Pecco now, Fabio and everyone else is in some real, real trouble. That's all I know. No, I agree, and and because of that, I think you know, like you said, it wasn't the Peco of last season that just uh, you know kind of kind of just stumbled on something almost possibly, or maybe they were working towards something. But this season, he knew what he was looking for this time, and they couldn't find it, and then they did get it back in Mazan, excuse me, in Jerez. So, uh, I, I think there's blood in the water for uh, for Fabio right now, and I, I do think Peco is is going to be on the attack we'll see um how peco gets along with this circuit uh, you know it's just a it's a it's a unique circuit it's 
it's got it's got some character to it. I think it kind of lends itself well to a Yamaha. Um, it but does. it does have it areas does. for a, you know a Ducati. You know the long straight or the front straight coming out of uh, uh, Ricorda Ma, the last two right handers there. It's a very long straight, you know, and and that to bend the bike all the way, you know, through the Dunlop corner and then into the Dunlop chicane, um, it's going to be tough. I think there's going to we always see moves there. You always see the front get tucked. You always see crashes there. It's a really high drama place. Um, and then you know, working all the way back down the hill again into La Chapelle, the um, turn five, the right hander, uh, or excuse me, turn four of La Chapelle. Um, once again, a high crash zone. I think Mark Mark has this crash there like you said 15 20 times you know in two races so <laughs> yeah i so we'll see i mean the proof will be the proof will be on sunday or even in the practices and qualifying if if peco is on pole everybody better be careful um, I agree. but but you know in terms of fabio i really think fabio must have a better race than peco here he's got to because if he loses points here then they go to Mugello and Catalonia well we know what Mugello has yeah it's got a, a four mile front straight and he's gonna struggle to keep up with any of the Ducatis that are staying in the race it's it's gonna be it, it the Yamaha is gonna suffer dramatically in Mugello I think no, I agree. So, I think uh, I think yeah, Pekka or excuse me, Fabio even made the comment that you know it's not hard, it's not possible to push further. It's not possible for him to go to to go more to do any more. He's already doing what he can on the bike. He's ringing the bike out for everything that it's worth, and then some. Uh, you know, Dovey even made the comment that that he doesn't understand how he's going as fast as he is. You know, and um, it's uh, it's up to Yamaha now to figure this out for twenty twenty three. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll say this. If, if Fabio is a repeat champion this year, I will be thoroughly impressed. And I, I'll, and I think that it oh, will be, yeah. I think that a repeat championship for Fabio will be aided by Pekka Benyaya mistakes. And unfortunately, Pekka yeah. Benyaya doesn't make a lot of those. He, he hasn't yet. Now he may have a season where he does it, but he, re he, he retired from two races last year and he's already retired from one this year. And I, I'm curious to see if he can string. I mean, imagine if he wins this race and then goes to Mugello, wins that race, and, you know, Fabio with the Yamaha struggles finishes seventh or eighth. Mm -hmm. Fabio's lead is is just is gone. Now, yeah. that's a lot of speculation because we don't know who finishes this race this weekend or if Fabio just doesn't hand it to him. This is France. Fabio's a Frenchman. He may be. He may have something in the bag. We don't know, so we'll see. Um, it'll be really interesting. But I, I, I was thinking about that this week. You know, I, I went back and looked, and because I was, I was thinking, man, if they really have figured it out, because in Jerez it looked like they had, and his shoulder will be better than it was two weeks ago. Um, man, just it's gonna be. It's going to be a really important weekend for Fabio and really everybody because if 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 Magnaia gets in form and starts reeling off win after win after win, that you know anytime yeah. you win multiple races in a row, it's hard to stay in front of that guy in terms of points and championship. 
Yeah, I, I agree, and I do think it's still it's still important to understand the window that each rider is operating in. You know, like um, like I said, Fabio is is operating within a very very tight window where he can't make a mistake. He's pushing so hard on the bike. There's not a lot of room for error um, during a race for him simply because of how hard he has to push to stay in front of the Ducatis to, to get out in front of them initially. Um, and then to be there, you know, it's got to, even when you hear, Oh, well, you know, the, the Yamaha's great at once it runs its lines. I mean, the uh, Ducati is, it's, it's just a good bike. It, it's really good bike all around. So I, I think that those days are going to be numbered for Yamaha. I do too. I, I now they have promised if Fabio signs with them that they will do a ton of development on the bike. Man, I sure hope so. I, I would, think I, that, but to me, I, what kind of outlook is that though? Because I think if you really want to be competitive in the class, you need to. You obviously need to do a ton of development on the bike, regardless of who your rider is, right? So, well, yeah, we would think that, but so they why would argue you that they're leading the championship. You know? They're the defending champions, and they're leading the championship. So until until they get set down, until they have a reason and to not, yeah, that's right. Until they until they say okay. We won one race and our guy, our top guy finished sixth. You know what I mean? Like they're, mm -hmm. they're, they have a mindset. Yamaha has followed that mindset. I mean, I don't, Rossi was clamoring for more power 10 years ago. <laughs> I mean, this is who they are. Like, this is just who they are. So we'll see. But in, in, in MotoGP, in that class, in the premier class, you know, I think all eyes have got to be on the Peco versus Fabio duel. The thing I like most about this duel, and most people don't like it, the thing I like most about it is how they are both complete gentlemen to each other. There is no needle pointing, needles, you know, needle jabbing. There's right. no, they don't do that. Last year when when uh, Francesco crashed, he walked out there and congratulated Fabio on a championship after he crashed. And you know that had to be like swallowing glass, but he did it because that's who he is. Yeah. And I believe Fabio would have done the same thing. And I, I for one, don't ever understand why it is preferable for the, the media. Well, I do understand it, but I, from, I don't understand the reason that human beings prefer the argumentative, the, the Valentino Rossi, Sete Gibrano, or the Valentino Rossi, Max Biaggi, or the mm -hmm. Valentino Rossi, Mark Marquez things. I don't, I just find myself caring so little about that stuff. It only matters what you do on track. The rest of it, you can be a decent human being. You know what I mean? Like, I think, so I think part of that has to do it. with the class of MotoGP that we're seeing though right now. You know, there's not a lot of, uh, of that across the board. Um, Mark Marquez is really kind of the, the, the remaining perpetrator, right? He, he goes out and he irritates Lacia Sparger. He goes out and he irritates Maverick Vinales. You know, um, he wants to go out and get a toe from Jack Miller. Jack Miller says, "Okay, you know, throw me ten bucks and then we'll we'll call it a, uh, we'll call it even." You know, that Jack Miller has fun with it. And and like you said, you know, I think that there's a little bit in that in Joanne Mir. I, I think that he might thrive a little bit off of that. He's he's quick to be critical, I believe, in the media to other riders. But um, no, I, I agree with um, the comments about Pekka Benyaya. I think that he is just a class individual um, from, you know, all around. And well, same I, thing with Fabio. I mean, they're, they're, 
yeah. it's, it's it's fun to watch, you know, whenever these guys are going back at it because they're going to make each other better. And it's not it doesn't I, come yeah. from a place of of malice or animosity. It it nope. really comes from a place of, you know, they're just going to keep driving each other in a positive manner. Yeah, and make no mistake, they're both super competitive. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is no there is no non-competitive spirit there. They're intensely competitive, but they just don't feel the need to jab each other in the media or on track, you know, and and they don't race that way. So I'm 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 excited for those who do it. But a, a little drama off the track is always, you know, it's always a little bit fun. But we have enough of that with Marquez because he will literally do anything to anybody at any time. He doesn't care. And I thought it was funny that Alesh was crying about the toes. Um, <laughs> because that's because all he's Aleish, done for the past uh, yeah, yeah. years. I was like, <laughs> shut up, you know. But you know, but we'll see. Um, but uh, but I do think overall everybody's got to be careful now i do want to mention though something about the lower classes i want to talk about moto three for just a second mm. i think dennis Fazier really needs to have a good showing this weekend sergio garcia and izan guevara are are on unbelievable form jamma masia could be in that statement as well but you know those are the top five riders in the championship and i think out of the five the one that needs the best result the worst is Fazier. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that he had a lot of pressure coming into the season, uh, performed well at the beginning of the season, had a couple bad races, and you know now it's now it's time to really see if he has that championship pedigree to put his head down and to to recover that. Yeah, there, there's really no. I I didn't see any big stories coming out of Moto Three. You know, uh, although I did see a, a Diogo uh, Moreira mm-hmm. showed up and won a Supermoto race. <laughs> somewhere just showed up and won it i mean this kid is uber talented there are people looking at him uh we're gonna see it i think you know if he, he he'll get better as the year goes on and i think next year you know he may actually contend for the title which would be really cool to see um but in moto 2 we did have some news we had Renato fanati is no longer racing in moto 2 i saw um, that and uh, and i don't know exactly what that's about i i I didn't find anything in my research that said it was because of behavior. They just said it was because of performances and they have been pretty terrible, but it's very strange that they would let him go a half the year gone. You know, maybe he just felt like I just cannot ride this Boscoscura. I just can't do it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, not really sure what happened behind the curtain there, but I agree. It's the, if you have a 16 year old kid, that's in the same garage as you that walks into the championship, jumps on a bike that's not supposed to be as good as anyone as the Calyx bike and is potentially a race winner. Uh, you know, he's had some bad luck this season. Um, it always seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, unfortunately for Furman Aldiger. But um, as far as Romano Fernandi is, all he's doing is going backwards. Uh, you know, if he's keeping company with Sean Dillon Kelly in the back, then there's something wrong there, at least for Fernandi. You know, he's been in this class before. Um, he, he's a talented rider. We saw he was talented in Moto3, the most successful Moto3 rider ever. Um, and this is, this was surprising to me because I, I wanted to see Fanon get back into Moto2. I thought he was going to be a lot stronger, but it, you know, maybe that's just the sun has set on that, that premier class career, right? Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, we shall see. I mean, maybe he gets another shot next year. Maybe he goes to another championship. Come on over to uh, Moto America. We'll put you on a 600. Yeah. See how you do. Or a bagger. Um, We could put him on a bagger, too. Dunlop tires. We could put him on a hooligan. We put him on a hooligan. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. But, you know, the truth is is that he is only eight points behind Cam Bobier and only... 10 points behind for me now, Degear. So it's not like those guys have lit the world on fire. Now, there have been flashes, but it does not matter. Flashes do not get points. And I have always thought about that. You know, that I, I know that the, the powers that be that know a lot about motorcycling, they're looking for things in terms of the way uh, the data is telling them what they're doing. Are they adapting to the bike? Are they improving, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And I wish we could do that for the mechanics on the American racing team because they've gotten no better in four years. But the problem is that I don't think Fanati was progressing. I think he may have even been regressing. And he was probably frustrated and didn't, you know, wasn't super open and can be conducive to learning. You know, who knows what was happening. But, you know, nothing publicly happened. We didn't see anything on track. Yeah. We didn't. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but I think that's the reality of professional racing. Results are what matters. Um, so, I mean, that's that's where we are. Uh, did you have anything else about Moto2 that stuck out to you? I mean, we were talking about the Americans, and we would like to see some more. We'd like to see Cam Bobier get a shot to finish a race um, again. He did crash in the Americas. That was on him. Everything else is because of his team. So we well, would even like in the Americas, he was having he was having gearbox issues in the Americas though too. So evidently, issue, you know. So so out there, if anyone's ahead. listening, yeah, and is a mechanic, maybe send an application over to the American Racing Team because they have evidently never worked on a bike. Um, so we'll figure that out. But I, I'm a little frustrated by that. But I do want to see it better. I, I, I think this weekend though, Celestino Vietti really needs a good showing because he's been kind of weak the last two weekends. Got really lucky in Portugal because of all the drama there. But he needs to have a good weekend. He needs to be up on the box. He needs to show he's he's okay. He's at the front of that class. He has a lead. But, you know, Ayagura's riding really well. Arbolino's riding really well. Kanet's riding really well. So, you know, he's got he need he needs a good race this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking for Joe Roberts. Um to be successful this weekend, you know he's on pole position uh, last year, year before, um, year you know, before, before Tiregate happened. Yeah. So um, I, I think that uh, I think Joe Roberts might like this track. I think he does well here. He, it, Joe Roberts is a good rider. You know we give him a lot of flack, and, and I give him a lot of flack and and um, dig at him. But uh, you know he got his first win in Portugal. Um, he was there where he needed to be. Um, I think this weekend now it's Joe Roberts' chance to build on that and to say, all right, I you know I, I belong in this class. I am a race winner. I want to I want to race when I want to earn it and not not be controversial. You know, not win it with only ten bikes on the grid. Um, and I think Joe Roberts can do that this weekend if he just buckles down. I'll be fine with any two Americans on the podium. One two is great. I don't yeah. care. That'd be great. Let's fly the flag over in France. I mean, let's do it. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm excited for the weekend. Like I'm looking forward to getting up in the morning, turning practice on. I yeah. don't have any. I can't go anywhere. Uh, my truck's in the shop. So. Uh, I thought you said you weren't going to be upset about that. I'm not upset, but I, but it, <laughs> you know, it allows me to watch racing. I normally I have errands to run, but none of that's going to happen. So, I'll. Uh, 
I'll just enjoy some some practices and do that. But you know, this past weekend I rode with uh, Pre out at CMP um, Road, and I, I got to tell you, you know, Pre puts on a great event every time. They do a great job, man. They really do. And and you know, uh, my riding is not any fault of theirs, but yeah. uh, you know, but they they always do. And you know, I I always want to give them a shout out. Uh, John gave me some stickers, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I need to get but, one of those. Uh, but yeah, no, well, I agree. More horsepower. So. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, maybe I don't need that, but um, given my <laughs> track record, but uh, no, I agree. You know, I rode a long time with N2, um, you know, and that was the only organization that I had rid- ridden with for quite some time and then made the switch early last year over um, simply out of, you know, schedule strength in the Southeast here. Uh, Pre had a little bit better presence in the Southeast. So Angie and I jumped over and we rode a couple track days with them. And, you know, right from the get go, even the riders meeting in the morning, uh, much more organized, uh, much more informative. I felt, um, you know, nothing against N2. Um, I just feel that Pre kind of has an edge over them um, and, and would love to see, you know, possibly uh, other organizations take from that because Pre really does set a really good example um, on how to run a track day. Uh, how how proactive coaching should be handled i think during in all class or in the, the intermediate and the novice classes uh coaching seems to be a struggle sometimes with other organizations um but uh pre yeah. it's really not you know pre you don't have to you don't have to ask for feedback you're going to get it you know you're going to someone's yeah. going to find you on track and they're going to immediately start working with you well yeah that's true and you know this weekend the hardest working coach in the paddock dan Rocket Dan, uh, who we've mentioned many times on the podcast, you know, he had, uh, he had some pit bike issues. So every time I turned around, one of the pit bikes in my garage was gone. Um, <laughs> and in matter of fact, he brought it back one time and said, yours needs gas, please fill it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, you know, you know, Dan, I, I have to do this. I, you know, I told Dan I would. I, so Dan has been telling me for a long time, one of the issues that I have riding is that he was telling me I wasn't using my core enough to support me on the bike. And I I knew what he was saying, but I didn't really know why I wasn't. And then another coach, and again, some proactive coaching, mentioned to me that, you know, when you, you, know, when you hit the brakes and you're squeezing the tank, um, and I was like, oh. And this whole time that when I would get over, I'd hit the brakes, and I like to, I like to move to the turn side as I brake, right? I use the inertia. Yeah from the bike, it kind of lifts me up and makes it easy. And so I do that, but I was immediately putting my knee out like a sail versus keeping you keeping it in until I needed it to turn to keep me off the tank and off the bars. Well, that was a little nugget. And I mean, Dan had been right the whole time. So Dan, you were right. I said it on the air. Let's never speak of it again. Um, but you know, but it was just the, it was the, in passing, what another coach said to me in conjunction with what Dan had been barking at me about. And then I, all of a sudden I was finishing sessions without any problem because I wasn't so worn out from using my arms so hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the proactive coaching there was really good. Um, I struggled some of the days I did not do my best times. I, but I, but I've handled it in the right way. I was struggling. I was, I knew I was making mistakes. So I just came off, sat down, threw a little patty, pouted a little bit, and then went in my trailer and sat down and got refocused because I knew that it was just a matter of focus. 
Right, um, right. And once I got focused, I came back out and I was okay. Um, and but overall, again, great weekend. And what pre does has nothing to do with my problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but it was it was a good two days. It was a little bit cooler, so that was nice. It wasn't boiling hot. Um, but yeah, but um, you got anything else this evening you want to talk about? Anything really? No, I, I think that's it. No, I, I think that's it. Um, you know, we're getting short on time, so we should probably start yep. wrapping it. Um, but uh, yep. I think we, you know, we talked about a lot, mostly Suzuki and and their future, and then uh, with Lamont. But what future? Uh, yeah, can't wait. To, <laughs> I can't wait for this well, weekend. Get to watch some racing yeah. and uh, get to talk about it next week. Hopefully, absolutely. Well, I'm excited for that. But uh, yeah, if you guys are out there in uh, riding this weekend, please keep the shiny side up that rubber side down. And if you are not following us on our Instagram and Facebook parked in turn one, we're there. We do post when we put up new episodes. So do that. And we try to post some other stuff. Uh, but, uh, anyway, thanks for listening this evening and we will catch you guys next week. Have a good one guys.